Ooh, there we go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Let me turn this part off. No, I'll leave that on. How are you doing, everybody? Hello. My name is Luke Thomas. It is uh, 4.03 p.m. East Coast time here on the 26th of October, 2023. This is episode 177 of my live chat. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. There's probably no shortage of topics to get to, I'm sure. The fallout with uh, UFC 295, there's Fury and Ganu. There's a million things going on in the sport, or or beyond, or beyond. I found out today, I haven't seen the movie yet, I found out today, how the hell did they do this? They made that new movie, uh, The Creator, they shot that on the Sony FX3. This is, what you're watching now is the Sony uh, A7S3, the FX3 is slightly better than that. So like, they shot that movie on a camera like a little bit better than than this one. That you're watching on. Just crazy. Craziness. Had no idea. Uh, but people said they've seen the movie and that it's a little bit of a letdown, which is sad, but I have to see it because I didn't know they shot it on a Sony FX3. Holy shit, that is amazing. Anyway, a lot to get to. Uh, hey, want to say thanks to all the members out there for supporting the channel for any number of reasons. And of course, if you're looking for more information about that, you can get that there. YouTube.com slash Luke Thomas slash join. Folks have asked, how come I can't do it on the iPhone? Just get on the desktop and go to that link. Uh, iPhones won't necessarily help you. Uh, the UFC 294 main event breakdown briefly had a copyright issue. It's back up. It's back up in, in all its glory. And uh, so you can watch that. But if you lost it for a couple of days, all the members had access. So thanks to all the members who are there. And if you want that kind of access, the member access can provide that and more. Yeah? All right. Let's do this. So without further ado... People saying the volume's low. Let me turn the volume up then. I can do that. There we go. How about that? Is that a little bit better? Uh, I can turn it up a little. That's I can turn up a little bit more, but we can probably leave that. Maybe turn it down a little bit. Right there. Leave that as about right there. How about that? Yeah, a little bit better. Othello, let me know if it needs a little bit more adjusting. That's good. Okay, great, great. With that in mind, folks, we got a lot to get to. So thumbs up if you haven't already. Subscribe if you haven't already. It's free. You guys know the drill. We go for about an hour. And uh, then we get to the paid questions. You don't have to leave a dime. You don't have to contribute. You don't got to do nothing. You can just sit here and uh, watch it for free. That's okay. I'm just glad you're here. But if you want to, you can do that. And of course, if you are a member of the top tier, then you can contribute to a question for free. Just tag Othello in the, uh, the comments. All right, we got to get going. Let's do this. There we are. We're back. I'm going to take that off there. Okay. So there we have it. Uh, thanks to all the members. Thanks to everybody who showed up here today. Sorry we had to go a little bit later. Wife is out of town, so I had to pick up the kid from school, which I normally do not do in the afternoons, but I had to do that today. All right? Very good. Um, without further ado, let's get this party started. So it's 4.06. I'll go to about 5.06, and then we'll get to any of the paid questions or donations or whatever. All right. Let's pull this up if we can here. Like that, but we'll switch it up. No, I don't like that one. Let's do this one. There we go. A little bit better. All right. Okay. Uh, first question. Luke, I have a theory on the whole lifespan of an MMA fan. Is it something I've been coming to terms with? I got into this sport because it seemed to be built on the same foundation as most Eastern martial arts. Respect, discipline, self-improvement, etc. However, as you pointed out, the longer you follow MMA, the more you understand the corruption and unsavory characters that actually control everything. It's true in boxing too, but yes. Uh, I would argue that boxing, though it shares many of the same flaws, is much more honest about its nature. That's true, yes. 
whereas MMA is masquerading as something more pure than it actually is. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. That's probably a function of the fact that the industry is really an MMA one dominant firm that is very, very corporate. Here we go. Yeah. One dominant firm that's actually very, very corporate, right? And so um, it's a little bit – MMA is sort of more tied to the direct um, – relationship that the UFC has to corporate America, how big of a corporation it is uh, as a consequence of being a corporation and a brand. Everything is sort of tied around that brand. And listen, as a corporation, any corporation is going to do this. They're going to have their idea about they're putting their best foot forward and their, their, you know, their corporate social responsibility plan and, you know, how everything is above board and blah, blah, blah. And so there's just a lot. And, and, and of course, it creates a certain amount of you know, there's a lot of MMA fans that treat you. There used to be this sort of UFC pride thing for a while, and UFC Strike Force to an extent. But you know, UFC has people who are fans who are very loyal to that brand. Um, so um, it gets a little bit more. There's a lot more denial about the state of the industry because of these factors. Whereas in boxing, everything is sort of balkanized and decentralized. So you have a lot of different power players. There's a lot more recognition that there. this is like a shared power kind of dynamic. A lot of people have been in these the game for a long time. You know, there's it's very clear that if you've worked with the sanctioning bodies for any amount of time, that these are not you know, in, in large part entities that are on the up and up. I mean, this sort of goes on and on. There's a lot more recognition that boxing is broken among people who still watch boxing. Whereas with MMA, the people who begin to think that it's broken tend to check out and everyone else kind of like the ones who are happy about it, you know, are kind of in denial. In fact, I was thinking about this today. You know, what's kind of interesting. I'm very glad you guys are here. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, we've been talking about the difference between like MMA media and then uh, MMA influencer media. And MMA influencer media is very big. This is not an argument about which is bigger or smaller. In fact, I would say everything is trending in the influencer direction. But one thing that is a very big difference that perhaps I did not mention previously, but really kind of occurred to me is if you've been in this game long enough, then you just watch how the sausage is made. It will turn you sour to a degree in the way you've pointed out i mean in boxing too right in combat sports in general it will sour you a little bit uh or a lot depending on your perspective but uh what you notice from the influencer media is that they're all very happy have you noticed that like they're all very cheery they're all smiling everything is funny everything's a big joke everything is high five everything is you know isn't this one big party that we're all at whereas you know if you've been in the game for a long time and you know how this is all done you could be an angry bastard like me, not just me. You know, you can, it can bring you down. It can be like, Jesus Christ, this is how this is actually working? You know, so there's a, the MMA media tends to be heavily, I think, relative to the influencer side of the media. They have, tend to be a lot more dour. They tend to be a lot more down. They tend to be a lot more negative. I don't think without, you know, I think with good reason, that reason I should say. However, I can understand the appeal of someone who is like a fight fan who either doesn't want to consider these issues, isn't ready to consider these issues, has never thought about any of these issues, just looking over. It's like, well, these people are having fun and these people aren't. You know, again, we're making basic assumptions here. Uh, I can see how that might affect people's choices as well, you know? So, but to your point, I just feel like there's a lot of people in MMA tied up to the UFC brand. It's explosive growth. It's continue. Well, Endeavors having some issues, but the UFC property is still obviously very, very strong. Very strong. Um, I tend to think that that corporateness and then that brand loyalty tends to shield or otherwise dampen some of these broader conversations. Also, remember, the UFC is able 
even when fights fall out for 294 and 295, they're kind of able to keep the train on the tracks in a way that services the fan base. I mean, the fan base kind of expects the UFC to do this almost like once a week, not quite, but basically kind of like that. Uh, and so their capacity to meet those demands, even amidst these challenges, um, you know, this this earns a certain amount of goodwill, I think, over time by certain fans. And then you get to the other side of fandom where you begin to be like, right, but why are these fighters are all taking the risk? I'm just pointing out the, the different nature of, of how the industries are constructed um, allows you to see things more clearly when boxing is everything's kind of separated and that makes it hard to understand at first. But once you know how it all kind of works or you get some idea of how it all kind of works, you know, you can begin to see how, how like there's problems that emerge. Whereas in MMA, everything is like, everything's behind the curtain, you know, behind the corporate curtain. All right. That aside, here we go. Luke, I think we can all agree or we, uh, that we can agree that even though Usman lost to Chimaev, the performance he put on and heart he showed was remarkable. I would largely agree with that. Where does he go from here, though? And where does Drickus fit into all of this? I know Usman called him out, but he's a really big guy. How do you see that fight? Uh, how do you see that matchup going? I mean, a couple things here. Um, let me do one thing real quick so I can fix this. One thing. There we go. Okay. I mean, there's just no denying Kamara Usman overperformed relative to expectations at UFC 294. Fact. Fact. Right? He overperformed. Um, I think he certainly overperformed relative to my expectations. I think he overperformed relative to the odds makers' expectations, such as they have them. Um, I, think he, I think he overperformed relative to a lot of people's concerns. I don't think a lot of folks thought he had that in him, especially given the conditions. 12 days, up a weight class, blah, blah, blah. So what I said on MK was, and I'd stand by it, I did not go into that fight thinking that afterwards there, like we would get a very clear picture of what Usman could do at middleweight, which we, which we didn't, but I thought he was going to get kind of run over. I thought it was going to basically look, look like the first round for every round as long as it went, and I didn't think it was going to go the distance. This is what I mean about he overperformed. Um. So I didn't think we were going to have to wrestle with these questions really in any kind of serious way. But then he performed the way he did. And then you're like, oh, right. Like, there might be something to this. Even at age 36, blah, blah, blah. Like, there might be something to this. There might be a little bit there. He has earned, I think, the opportunity to fight somebody else in the division with a full camp who's got a big name. I, I don't know exactly who that is and how the timing would work. You mentioned Drickus. Drickus might be a little bit too much for him um, just based on size and whatnot. But... Could be interesting. Um, but certainly, certainly, you know, you're asking what's Usman's future. It's impossible to say. But what you can say is, did he in this fight do enough to make you want to say, I'd like to see this again under more controlled, clear, and understandable terms against somebody of high value? I absolutely think he did. He absolutely did that. He absolutely showed that, proved that. Did really well. You could argue he scored a draw um, if you really wanted to. But, you know, more than that, just hanging on in the first round, not getting submitted, not giving up, even after getting bellied out several times. I cannot over. When you get bellied out like that, the amount of strength it takes from your core and your arms and your lats and everything to crunch up back together is very difficult, right? And especially if someone's really leaning and hipping in. If you guys never seen it, um, 
Tony Frickland, I believe, subbed Joe Riggs. Was it Joe Riggs? Maybe it was Joe Riggs. Tony Frickland subbed somebody with just with that. Just from the back by hipping into it and then yanking back and it fucked up his back. I think it was Joe Riggs. Uh, not Tony Frickland. What am I saying? Tony the Freak Frickland. That's not right. That's not right. Um, God, now I have to look it up. Now I have to look it up. Hold on. I will tell you who it is. It was... God. This is killing me. It was not Tony Frickland. I'm messing the name up completely. The name was... Um, let me go back here. Ivan Salivary. Jesus, what am I doing? Tony Frickland. No, not Tony Frickland. Ivan Salivary. Excuse me. Ivan Salivary did it. This was UFC 52. Just hipping into him hardcore. Fucked his back up. So, like, the, the strength it takes to crunch back up while also not getting submitted, not losing your cool, not losing your bearing, hanging on. Very impressive. Very impressive to be put in circumstances like that and come out better the other side. Um, so he's earned an opportunity against a big, a big opponent. I had a debate with some folks online. I was like, who's got a better win at middleweight among available contenders than what Drickus has over Robert Whitaker? And of course, the natural response is going to be like, well, Cannoneer just beat Sean Strickland a while ago. And it's like, right, but you just don't want to play MMA math. First of all, he's injured and he can't really fight next anyway. So like that part of the conversation is not even really relevant. But I, I would say two things. One... I don't think you can look at a performance like that, a very, very ho-hum, low output on both sides, low output affair, and say that that's a better fighting performance than a guy like Drickus stopping Robert Whitaker inside the distance, inside of two. I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say that that showed more overall, um, more upside as a championship contender in terms of the array of brutality that was available, as well as some of the direction of skill combination of both it's just not a better performance it's a good performance it's a very valuable performance but folks are like oh well then you know look and then sean uh, lost and went on to beat izzy it's like right but cannoneer also fought izzy and lost like you can't matchups matter and you can't overplay that a little bit so certainly i'm not saying that beating sean strickland that cannoneer did is not a meaningful win it's a meaningful win he should be if not right at the top pretty close to that as a contender all things being what they are but I just really don't think in the full breadth of what we consider to be um, not just high-level fighting, but um, aggressive in your fit. No, 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 not even. The, the marriage of skill that he showed and the marriage of offensive urgency that he showed and the danger that that brought, I just think is significant. And, and again, the skill level that accompanies that, I just think is much, just a better all, overall performance than what uh, I think it's harder to stop Robert Whitaker in two than I think it is to outpoint um, Strickland in the apex over the course of five rounds. Which, by the way, didn't that fight take place on relatively short notice? Maybe. Anyway, even if it didn't, um, I, I just don't. I don't think they're they're equally meritorious. So to me, it would be Drickus. And anyway, it doesn't matter because Cannoneer's on uh, injured. But um, how would? Duplessis and Usman go. I mean, Usman is a big, strong guy. I don't know how it's going to go necessarily against all the 185ers, including Drickus, who's a big 185er. Like, Drickus, I don't think, could make welterweight. It was tough for Usman to do it, but he could do it. So I don't know how much I like his chances, but it'd be kind of interesting to see. It seems to me, if there's a timeline where it works, Cannoneer versus Usman's kind of interesting. Um, but I just feel like Drickus should get the title shot. I feel like Hamzat should be fighting somebody else. Uh, you know, and I don't think I don't think it should be Drickus because I think Drickus should be the one fighting for the title. I think that's the fight. 
Um, so I don't really know what UFC wants to do, but whoever they end up, whatever Usman is ready to come back, he's really earned a very solid opportunity. Like, okay, I did the middleweight thing under really inauspicious conditions, and I still performed, all things considered, very well. Now I want an opportunity to do the same thing again. This time I want adequate prep and I want adequate time. And I think he's earned that. I think he's earned that times times 10. Ooh, good question. Uh, Luke, there's been, you mentioned there's been a surge of contenders through middleweight in that division. Who stands out to you the most or catches your eye? Gotta be. I'm not saying that you have to agree with this or that this is the answer. This person's asking me who caught my eye. That's just me. Bo Nickel would be the answer. Bo Nickel is the one that I'm still kind of waiting to see. You know, him beating the shit out of all the guys he's beaten right now, it's impressive, but in terms of what his limits are, it doesn't tell me much, right? Because these guys are well below what it would take to test his limits. I mean, you've seen that. So that doesn't tell me much. It doesn't mean much to me uh, in that sense. I want to see that tested. I want to see what that looks like. I want to see. I want to see exactly how far that goes, because maybe it goes really fucking far. It's, it's just hard to say. It's hard to say. But he looks like he could be the real deal, Holyfield. But I mean, dude, every which way you look, the champion got turned over. So now it's Sean Strickland. Here comes uh, Hamzat Chimaev, whether he deserves a title shot or not. Like he's on his way. And then you've got Ikram Alaskarov. There's another donk who's just sort of making his way through. Drikas already pushed his way through. Here comes. A little bit further behind, Bo Nickel, and I'm leaving out some other names too. Oh, how about Joe Pfeiffer? Just starting to bludgeon people up, right? I mean, there's just lots of like big time turnover happening at middleweight. All of a sudden, it seems like all at once, and it's 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 fantastic to see. Izzy had a nice, long, relatively speaking, of course, uh, powerful reign as champion. I think he is at worst. The second best best middleweight of all time. I think he is, at worst, one of the best fighters I've ever seen. He's one of the he 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 and his team. I think changed the game. Uh, but you know, there appears to be new life in the division that's headed up, and it's going to have its own story and their own rivalries. And I think it's going to be you know the chapter after um, Izzy's Izzy's you know true um, success. What's the word I'm looking for? The space in which he had his best success, basically. Prime's not quite the right word, but um, you get the idea. Like, there's just massive turnover. But for me, it's the Bo Nickel question, right? I mean, to get a guy that good in folk style this early, who had, I mean, again, think about it like how hard it is to get wrestlers of this, of this quality. Just off the break, it's hard. You can get the All-Americans, right? You can get the occasional national champion. It's very, very hard to get a guy who just railroaded college <laughs> it's very hard to do that and not all of those pan out either right not all of those pan out either but but here we go hard to get that then even if you get them they're like oh i want like jordan burroughs like i want to wait till my career is over jordan's like well into his 30s at this point right so um you would get him well past all the best years of his athletic life if you did that you're not that's not the case and i'm not putting I am not putting Bo Nickel on par with Jordan Burroughs. I'm simply saying for the elite wrestlers of this type, 
if they do end up making their way to MMA, it often happens later in their athletic life when, they've, when you've missed a lot of their prime years. You don't have that with Bo Nickel. And then perhaps the most important, because I have seen this, I saw this at heavyweight and pro elite with Mark Ellis. Mark Ellis was a D1 national champion. He had one pro fight and was like, fuck this. I don't, I don't want it. And I, you know, I've never, I've had zero pro fights. I totally understand that. I totally get that. Uh, but Bo Nickel is a savant. He's like already very good at many of these things, at least so we think. So he's, he's a bit of a unicorn. He's a bit of a very unusual guy, both in terms of the circumstances at which he's arrived and then the aptitude that he's shown in the game. All of these are very unusual. I really, really, really want to see that play out. So I know there's some time, and again, that could get derailed. I'm not telling you, oh, he's the next champion. He could be, but the question is like, let's, let's see it. Let's see it. All right. By the way, look at all of these uh, members on the channel. Loving this, man. Loving this. All right. Thank you, guys. Really, really appreciative. All right, Luke, as, I, as you know, I'm interested in the science of physical training and conditioning when it comes to MMA. Some time ago, in preparation, preparation for his fight against Yair, Volk used some lifts such as the hex bar deadlift jump, yep, and the barbell hip thrust uh, to help improve explosiveness. Are there any lifts that are common amongst fighters to help improve explosiveness? I suppose most Olympic lifts would uh, take too long to learn for most fighters to be effective. Better question for, if I may, a better question for uh, Phil DeRue. But, you know, for example, if you're asking to increase both punching power and explosiveness, anything ballistic? And you might be asking, what's a ballistic thing? Uh, a ballistic throw, for example. Uh, anything where you're taking, for example, a medicine ball and then you're throwing it and then releasing it. Anything where you're throwing or moving through a range of motion and then you have release uh, is ballistic. Uh, you're throwing a projectile. It's a ballistic. So that's the idea, which is why, for example, you're seeing people now doing this. They use the landmine. Do you guys know what the landmine is? The landmine is when you take the collars of the barbell, at least one collar, and then you slide it into a tube. And on that tube, the, land, the, the barbell can now move in a lot of different directions all of a sudden. So they'll put weight on it, and then you can go, you can get real you know, interesting kind of lateral tension with it. And you'll see people, Dr. Mike has talked about this, you know, they'll go one way, go the other way, and then move to the top. And they're trying to, you know, Chat, uh, they're trying to train certain things that require ballistic release, but you can't release the barbell. You actually have to hold on to it, and it's just a complete waste of time. That that any of those can be good for the right approach, but if you're looking for um, those kinds of things, anything ballistic is going to be a big one. Anything where you're forced to change direction, stop, and then explode to the next one, right? Uh, Phil Derue is big on this one of jumping, landing, changing directions, and then sprinting again. Any of those, but the hex, the hex bar, uh, uh, deadlift jump is a big one. I'm trying to think of some other ones for explosiveness that you'll see. Yeah, medicine ball throws. Um, what are some other ones that train explosivity? Yeah, the best thing I can tell you is to go to Phil DeRue's Instagram page. He, he, he'd be a much better answer for this one, but those are a couple of the big ones. So this is a great question. Uh, Luke, since Showtime is done with boxing and MMA at the end of the year, does it mean that you'll have more free time to work on personal projects, or would you just be doing additional things at CBS Sports? So, I want to caution folks. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But I would want to caution folks. I don't want to overpromise something that I can't do. Um, so, 
Remember, my job basically had two components. There's the entire MK side, which we've been over. None of that changes. All of that is exactly the same until the end of the year. And then January 1, 2024, we're just going to keep on keeping on on the MK side. The part that will obviously change is I'm not going to be covering any Showtime events. <laughs> like, that won't exist. Like, they, that will stop. So, flying to Fight Week and doing, you know, pressers and weigh-ins and um, post-fight reactions for events that no longer exist. No, I won't be doing that. I obviously won't be doing that. Um, you know, going into studio and doing a dissected on Tank Davis for fights that won't exist on Showtime. Like, no, I won't. I won't be doing that. So there will be, I think, some additional time for additional projects. Yes, that's true. On the other hand, I, you know, I, I, and I think you guys would understand this, with everything changing the way that it is, I cannot let, um, I think it'd just be foolish to let our guard down on MK. Be like, yeah, we're just going to keep doing all the same old crap and then blah, 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 it'll be fine. Like, we have to take care of that property in the best way that we can, especially given all the change. So y the answer is yes. But it won't be like some massive amount of like, oh my God, he's going to be uploading five times, you know, five times a week plus, you know, two live broadcasts. Like, if I went full time on this channel, you would get five videos a week plus two live broadcasts, right? If I went truly full time, you're not going to get that, but you're going to get more. You're going to get more. So that's the good news. Yeah. Okay. Someone's asking, you know what? Um, we should react to this a little bit. Luke, do you think Max still has a chance of becoming featherweight champ? Yes. By the Okay, yeah, let me read the question. Seems Volk is aware he may only have another one to two years of fighting left, and considering Max is still 31, he may still be around if he only fights once a year until Volk retires. Or do you think not due to all the damage Max has taken or other personal interests? Well, first of all, today on Twitter, he asked Justin Gaethje if he was interested in doing the BMF fight. Which would be pretty great, <laughs> pretty great, pretty great fight. I'm uh, not mad at that. On not mad at that suggestion. That'd be. I mean, Max is asking for difficulty. I don't know if I recommend it for his health, or you know, or Justin's health, or anybody's health. But um, I don't hate that fight. I don't hate that fight even a little bit. So that would be great uh, if he wants to do that. But it, it's hard to know exactly what's precipitating that and what it all means. So, like, I'm assuming that they're going to try to keep Volk on the tracks, however advisably or inadvisably, and I believe it to be inadvisable, uh, for January. That would kind of leave Max as kind of the odd man out. Now, if Ilya wins that, you're going to, you know, even worse for Max because then you're going to have to do a rematch with Volk again. If Volk wins, he's probably, what's he going to do? He's going to stick around featherweight and fight Max again? So, like... It might just be the case that Volk has one more fight at 145 in the event that he beats Teporia, or he might have two more fights at 145 in the event that he loses and then rematches and then whatever happens there. You know, he might still just call it a day at 145. So, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. And if you're Max, you kind of can't wait around for that. So, calling out a guy at 155, you don't have to cut as much weight. It's the violence quotient's insane. You'd get a belt, whatever value you ascribe to that belt. Uh, it'd be a, just a ridiculous fight for as long as it lasts so that'd be kind of interesting um but you're asking do i think he become can he become champ again here's one of my worries one of my worries would be that they volk can't do january and that max fights Ilya, 
and this is sort of just my belief about Ilya generally. Like he might be the guy I'm excited about most in MMA. I even said that Volk and Taporia fight is the one I want to see the most. Not under these conditions, but in general, it's the one I want to see the most. I actually do think that Max could beat Taporia. I do think that. I don't know if I'd favor him to win, but I think he could do it. But I think that that, that I think that fight would, and maybe the Justin Gaethje fight too. I think it would probably alter him. Uh, you're just not going to get out of a title fight with Ilya Taporia without substantial amounts of damage uh, if you get out of it at all. I I think that could be a real turning point, uh, honestly. So really, it's a question of you know could Max do it? There are circumstances where he could do it. I think actually going up to a 55 and fighting Gaethje, not that that's in any way easier, it's not, but the lack of the weight cutting probably would be a big factor to help him in a few ways. We saw his punch resistance against Dustin Poirier. That was pretty good, all things considered. So it can happen, but in any scenario where it happens, the cost of it is extraordinary, and I'm not going to say not worth it, but the cost is such that there's not much coming back from that. Right, there's not much coming back from that. Let me let in Barbas. He's he's howling at my door. Come here, buddy. Come here. You want to see Barbas? Come here. Look at this dog. Look at this dog. Look at this dog. Yeah, what's up, bro? Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Show him, bro. Manos arriba. Huh? Manos arriba. <laughs> All right, I'll put you down, buddy. You're fat. There we go. All right. Yeah, good question. Uh, I kind of answered this one already. By the, oh, by the way, this dude's already had like three questions asked, so I'm just going to answer real quickly. He's asking, do you believe that now that Volk has been knocked out in the way that he has, that it changes the equation against a guy like Toporia? Yes, I do. I think it absolutely diminishes your capacity within two months, especially if you have a camp where you do any sparring at all. I think it absolutely diminishes your chin. I don't think people talk enough about what that weight cut might have done to him, what another weight cut at age 35 to go back down to 145 might do to him. I don't think these things are nearly as simple as people imagine them to be. And I believe there's a cost to be paid for them. And I, I the, the, again, the, I want to be 100% clear. The argument is not that if Volk takes the fight in January, he loses. MMA is unpredictable. You have no idea if Taporia could have any issues himself. If you get a weird judge, blah, blah, blah. If Volk doesn't even take a big punch. Any of these things are still in play. What the issue is for me is that between the weight cut and the vicious KO, um, you, are, you are going into a fight so depleted and so, relatively speaking, diminished that you are making victory for a hard-hitting opponent significantly easier. Like a shot that might not put him out under better conditions could easily put him out. Right? I mean, how many times have we seen this? With Rose and, for example, Joanna. Pick, pick any number of fights where you've seen something like that. See, it happens all the time. And some of those are like rough weight cuts you know, on fight week where, where Volk might have a much more tailored, better approach. He does. The guy who does his weight cuts, the fight dietitian, is, is, is brilliant. But even then, there's still a cost to be paid. And with the KO, it's even worse. Uh, I think he would be going in there in a very suboptimal state. Could he do it? Of course. Of course. It'd be stupid to be like, he can't do this. But would I recommend going to fight an absolute hammer in the way that he is, having been KO'd two months ago? No. No, I think that would be a, um, or, you know, I guess closer to three. 
well, when is that fight? So yeah, well, closer. Uh, when is that? When is two ninety seven scheduled for? We'll see, two ninety seven is scheduled for uh, January twenty. So it's closer to three months. But even then, I hate the idea uh, about it. And plus, he has to get right with this one. So it's not like he can go right back into the gym today. So it's going to be closer to about two ish months. Um, two and a half, something like that. Either way, not not nearly long enough, I think, to protect his brain. People keep asking me this. Any fun Halloween memories from years gone past? No, dude. Halloween's never been one of those years where I've like, or one of those events during the calendar where I go like, you know, fist fighting and bag snatching and, you know, women banging. That's not, <laughs> I don't have any... I don't have any great Halloween stories, unfortunately. Some folks do. I'm not one of them. Okay, a lot of people, same people have the same questions. Here we go. Okay, let's get to this one. John Jones. Here we go. Do you think John will actually fight the interim champion, or do you think he'll still push for the Stipe fight when he returns, if he returns? Guys, I know we all want him to fight the interim champion, and there are some circumstances where that could fall into his lap, but if there is any way for him to not do that, he will he will take that approach. I don't think he has even the slightest fucking degree of interest. Didn't he even say my name talking about this? Didn't he even say, like Luke Thomas was saying... Uh, you know, fighting Sergey Pavlovich is is high risk, low reward. Uh, I mean, it's not that I don't. I want to be clear. It's not that I don't want to see them, or that I'm telling you they're bad fights. I think John is more or less done with MMA. I think he's got one guy left on that list. It's Stipe. This whole situation has thrown that into disarray. But that's the only one that he wants. Now you're asking, like, what would be the circumstance where he might be forced to do that? Um. Well, not forced, but, you know, reasonably compelled. If something happens to Stipe and there's an injury and the, the timeline is delayed again and perhaps in a significant way, like imagine Stipe tears his ACL in camp. That's not, you're out now a year. You're going to wait another year for Stipe? I don't think that they would. Um, folks, in eight months, the appetite for a Stipe Jones fight, like everyone being like, oh, I would really want to see that fight. Let's regauge what the fan appetite is in eight months. The idea that like it'll just remain fully intact in eight months, it could be true. I would not assume it automatically. I think that would be a terrible mistake to assume that the appetite will be just as high. We have to wait and kind of see exactly how things progress. And by the way, it may be longer than eight months anyway. Like recovery is eight months, but like getting back in there and being able to fight could be even longer. Okay, so like, what's the fan appetite going to be by the time we get there? And between Aspinall and Pavlovich, whoever wins, right? Let's say they win authoritatively on that night, and then they continue to win in the absence of John, in the absence of Stipe. Partly, it could be a case where it's like, who even cares about these geezers? The other part could be, by the time John comes back, the fan appetite won't necessarily be with Stipe. The fan appetite could, in fact, be with whoever that new king of the hill is. People might be like, you know, yeah, yeah, I wanted to see John fight Stipe in the end of 2023. I did not want to see him fight Stipe at the beginning of 2025, which is a thing that could happen. I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. And so if that's the case, 
and somebody else has stamped their claim as like the best heavyweight on earth, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. He might be kind of cajoled at that point into doing it. So this is the thing when fighters are always like, I'm going to sit out as long as possible. Man, you get the logic from their standpoint. I reached this. Look at how significant this achievement was. Look at how great this achievement was. Look at everything else I've done in this moment. Look at the run, the run that I'm on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait a little bit. I'm injured. I'm tired. I've been away from my family. Like you, you totally get why that they, why they do that. The problem is that the forces around them keep moving. You're Drickus Duplessis. You just stopped Robert Whitaker faster than basically anybody uh, in the UFC. I mean, maybe in middleweight. Maybe Izzy stopped him faster. I can't even remember anymore. But certainly. You put a beating on him, uh, and then you get, you know, do you have this injury you want treated? They just move on past. They just move on past. So, like, the desire to wait out. The, the reason why it works for John and Stipe right now is that um, the UFC appears to be on board with it. Because Dana was like, it's an insult <laughs> to ask Stipe to fight for an interim title. Well, maybe for, like, the money you're paying him, but I don't know if it's an insult in, in general, but the... The whole idea that I'm trying to point out here is the UFC is on board with Stipe just being like, I got one more guy, and then I'm out. They, they, seem, they seem to be on board with that project. As long as they're on board, it will continue to have some life. But if the fans are clamoring for something different, and now the UFC's hand is forced, they're just going to put on a fight that no one wants to see or you know has diminished significantly in fan appetite, given that the circumstances may play out. However they may play out. You're like, you, I'm telling you, man. People are always like, oh, here's what the fans like right now. Wait, wait, wait six months, wait nine months, wait a year. See what it is then. It moves like that. Um, good one. Yeah, sure. I could think of a few of these. Luke, is there a great Pyrrhic victory in UFC MMA history? A victory that came at such a great cost, it was almost a defeat. Um, You could maybe okay. So a pyrrhic victory is one where the person wins or the entity wins, but the cost, the way they're putting it, the cost was so great that they were never the same. They couldn't get back to it, um, or you know, in in some ways, they actually kind of lost. Um, you know, I don't know if if the George St. Pierre Johnny Hendricks fight fully qualifies, but folks might not remember after that fight, you know, GSP. He got a little bit of a claim because, you know, he I think he retired not long after that or, you know, took took, took time away in a, in a formal sabbatical not long after that. Gave up his belt, right? Um, that was one. But the big one that stands out to me is the Robbie Lawler-Carlos Condit fight. Now, Carlos lost that fight, although I thought he deserved to win. But Robbie did win. I don't think either of those guys were ever the same after that. I don't think either of those guys were ever the same after that. Let me look at their record just to see that. Just to, you know, it's not to say they won after that, but they absolutely were not the same when that fight, when that whole shebang was over. So let's look at this, right? Where was the Robbie Lawler fight? So yeah, it's not like he wasn't winning and losing before that. He was. So he was, you know, he fought St. Pierre to a decision, dropped him. Johnny Hendricks fight. I don't even remember that fight very well. But Martin Campman, he got the revenge because for folks who may not remember, Campman made his UFC, excuse me, Condit made his UFC debut against Campman after being the WEC champ. And there's a lot of people being like, who's this fucking guy from WEC? It was f- fucking hilarious in real time having to be like, this guy Carlos Condit's really good. And there was UFC fans at the time, I swear to God, 
who were like, he's just some, he's just some bum from WEC. We're like, sure about that? Sure about that? Anyway, getting back to it. He gets the he gets the revenge on Campman, loses to Woodley with the leg kick. He got injured, comes back sometime later, beats Thiago Alves with those vicious elbows in Brazil. That's right. And then he fought Robbie Lawler. And then after that, he goes on a one, two, three, four fight loss. That's the longest losing streak of his career. Yep. And he looked, you know, hardly like himself at all. Um, then he had the Court McGee fight. Then he had the Brown fight. He looked better in these. These were closer affairs. I think he rallied a little bit. And then he lost to Max Griffin back in July of 2021 and never was the same. Let's go to Robbie Lawler. By the way, who did have a bit of a rebound, certainly at the end. Uh, okay, so he beats Carlos Condit. Same thing happened to him. Immediately loses in the first round his next fight. Kind of rebounds against Don Cerrone, which was a weird one, but he got it done. Loses four in a row. Rafael, Ben, which was a weird one too. Colby, Neil. And again, the point was that he wasn't really himself during some of these. He had the, the Nick Diaz fight, which was just weird. Then he got stopped by Brian Barberina. And then the Nico Price one was just such a monumental way to go out because I think a lot of us were worried he was going to look like shit coming out of that one, all things being what they were. But, um, yeah, yeah, that one. He was never the same after that. Carlos Condit was never the same after that. Those guys, absolutely no doubt in my mind, left a piece of themselves in the octagon that night, 100%. They were not coming out of there the same. And by the way, it was a losing effort, so it doesn't qualify as a Pyrrhic victory. But like, you know, you see this all the time. Like, Rob, like uh, Rory McDonald was not the same after fighting Robbie Lawler. It was a loss. Doesn't qualify for the question. But you know, you can you can win or lose if the fight is brutal enough. You you, you ain't gonna be the same anymore. You ain't gonna be the same. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, look, who do you think would be the tough would be tough matchup for Jones out of Aspinall and Sergey? Which heavyweight do you see has a chance to dethrone either? So Sergey appears to be more dangerous on the feet. Um, I'm I'm gonna say. Okay, so here's how it works. Aspinall is clearly more well rounded, right? Clearly more well rounded. And so in that sense, I think poses a more troubling test for John. Um, Sergey's just much more immediately and unforgivably dangerous. Is sort of the way I would look at that. So here, let me, my wife is in Europe and uh, missed, not her fault. Her initial flight was delayed, got, got to where she is. And now the connecting flight she couldn't get. So now she has to stay in a hotel in the middle of Europe. Um, let me make sure everything is okay. And of course, I'm not going to tell you bozos where she's at. <laughs> All right. So, so I would probably say Aspinall in the sense of like how many different dimensions you'd have to prepare for. Because I think if John got Sergey down, it'd be a much easier fight. But obviously, Sergey is extremely, extremely dangerous on the feet. I mean... Uh, hold on. This sucks. Can I call when this is over? All right. Oh, Jesus. So they got her a hotel, and uh, they got her on a flight first thing tomorrow morning, but, like, she sent me a picture of the hotel. It looks like 
Shit. Oh, my God. All right. Very good. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is, a, this is a weird one. Luke, would you rather be strapped to a chair and watch a constant loop of power slap highlights or go on a one-week vacation with only John Jones and Yuana? Yeah, I'll take the power slap. Like, power slap is unwatchable, but I would watch that over... I mean, you said a constant loop of power slap highlights. How long? Like a day? You know? People always do this bit. It's like, would you rather get eaten alive for a day or eaten alive for a week? And it's like, well, one is... Clearly shorter than the other. I'll take that one. They, you know, neither could be great. I mean, I don't, I, listen, I don't hate John. I don't hate Yoan. I don't hate any of these people. I've been too old for this now. I just don't care. But do I want to spend a week's worth of time with them privately on vacation? I, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. No. No, I have zero interest in that. Mm. This is an easy one, too. Luke, why do you think Stipe isn't fighting at UFC 295? Yeah, doesn't want to fight anyone with John Jones. Do you think he turned down Aspinall Pavlich, or did the UFC ask him to step aside? Either way, it doesn't matter. It would seem to me that the UFC would not want Stipe to possibly derail a young contender since he's so inactive and older at this point. Saludos desde Miami. Um, dude, if you're Stipe Miocic, why the fuck would you fight anybody else? It's not a... like. You've done everything you can in your career. You got one last opportunity to make a big check. Remember, it would be pay-per-view points. I suspect he'd be entitled to it. I don't know that. But certainly the, the name value that that brings is orders of magnitude bigger than anything Pavlovich. and I mean, the, the casual fans don't know who these guys are. They should, but they don't. But they don't. They do know who John Jones is. John Jones has been doing this for a very long time at a very high level in a very public way. He's a big attraction. He's a big fish. Remember? Remember remember, um, Bud Crawford? Team Crawford? We get active, that whole thing, but they wanted to catch a big fish. This is a big fish. This is what I mean about people being like, oh, Errol Spence sucked. No, he didn't. Bud told you he was a big fish. He was a big fish. That absolutely was a big fish. He, was, he had three of the belts in that weight class at 147. That's a big fish, right? And he had a big name. Now, Pavlovich and Aspinall are the future of this division, it seems like. But they're not big fish in the way that Stipe cares. Stipe, having beaten both Cormier and John Jones on his resume, if he could get it, that would be of significant value. Massive value. I mean, historical value, quite literally. Plus, he'd get the heavyweight title. Now he has to fight two guys who are potentially both tougher. We don't know that, but this idea that like we can just conclude John is better than all the up-and-coming heavyweights, I think is super presumptuous. You might have two guys who are actually better that nobody knows, and one of them might be the second coming of Francis. Why the fuck would you fight those guys? And then you'd have to defend your interim title? Stipe has moved on with his life. He has moved on with his life almost completely. If he was going to stick around, it's only if he's got some kind of singular, uh, interesting attraction. That's John Jones. Pavlovich? And Aspinall are great for you and me, great for the future. Stipe's 41. He's going to be 42 by the time that fight happens, maybe even older than that. Why would, you, why, would, why would you do that? You don't care about the money. You know, again, you would want a big payday, but you don't care about so much of the payday that you'll go seeking any payday. So you don't care about the money in that way. 
You don't you don't really believe it would meaningfully add to your resume to beat any of these guys. You already people are already calling you the greatest UFC heavyweight. Why the fuck would you fight them? Why the fuck would you fight them? You would only want to fight them if you needed the money or you really felt it would add to your legacy or you really just wanted to. None of those things apply to Stipe. It doesn't really meaningfully enhance his... I mean, you know, it's good for his resume, but it doesn't really enhance it. It would not necessarily be any kind of a check, one that he's looking for anyway. And, uh, you know, there's no historical implications about, like, beating the best ever from 205 if you did it, like, or getting the belt, the full belt in that way. Like, why would you why would you fucking do it? Like it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, him turning that down him turning it down was not in any way a surprise, or him not having interest in it was not a surprise. I think the thing that surprised me the most, if I can be honest with you, is that the UFC was, like I said, on board with it. I thought for sure they're gonna tell him to pound sand, but they didn't. Crazy, right? All right, let's see what we got. Uh, any chance of MK doing an MK live in Toronto for UFC 297? Do I think CBS is going to send us to Toronto? No, I don't. No, I don't. We'll see. Toronto's not far. People think like Toronto's far. I think from Washington, D.C., it's like an hour flight or something. Hour and a half. It's very short. Someone's asking Luke, there was a pro fighter named Sunni Imhotep saying after the Adrian Yanez fight where he didn't switch stance at all from getting leg kicks so badly was something that shouldn't be happening at the UFC level. I was wondering if you agreed with this and could go into more detail on how this uh, happening at this level. Well, I did not see exactly what Sunni said. Sunni is an old training partner of mine. Long time ago. Fuck, this must have been 2015, something like that. 2014. Nearly 10 years ago, I was training with Sunni. Um... Sunni's great. Sunni's the man. Shouts to Sunni Imhotep. I love Sunni. Trains hard. Dude, when I say this fucking... Okay, here's a great story for you. When I say this guy lived in the gym, I mean he fucking lived in the gym. And at my most, I'd go four days a week, usually closer to three. I never remember going to a class where he wasn't there. Not once. Like, he's in all those classes. Even when he's injured, he's over in the class. But I'll never forget, I, there was a Bellator Media Day. Forget, I think it was for um, Tito Ortiz versus Liam McGarry. Maybe like the first Dynamite card. And they had a media day at AKA. And I remember going there and I'm at and AKA, like they took over like an old sports and health club. So like, you know how sports and health clubs have like a main floor and then they've got like racquetball rooms and like offices. Like they converted all of the space into different mats and training areas. And I remember like looking over and seeing this dude. I'm like, how the hell did he do this? Like, or, or he looked familiar. And it was, it was Sunni. He was training out there at AKA. He, like he was training at the gym. And I was like, dude, what are you doing out here? Cause I hadn't seen him in some time. And I think the dude was like, I forget what he was doing for his professional life, but like he had just moved to California, had no place to stay. He was like living out of his car, you know, and now he's killing it. Now he's doing great. But like, you know, the amount of sacrifices I'm pointing out that he was willing to make to like make an MMA dream happen was pretty insane. Now, what you're telling me is um, if you're able to switch stance, then you like, right. So if you're getting just drilled, then you should be able to switch the stance, put the back leg that you're getting drilled in the back and then you should be able to punch off the front or strike off the front anyway. Um, I would need to see exactly what he's saying. But I think if there's a criticism to make, it's that. Yeah. 
if you don't have an answer for leg kicks in your normal stance, then you need to be able to go to another stance more readily than just as a backup in the event like you're just trying to swallow pain. You have to have an actionable stance in a different one. So like if you're getting pushed out of your normal stance, okay, but then your secondary stance needs to still be much more weaponized than it was in that contest. Now, I don't know if that was exactly Sunni's argument, but to the extent it mirrored that at all, then I would, I would, um, I would somewhat or at least even largely agree. End of the year curse in full effect. Thanks for all the great content. Yeah. By the way, have you guys heard there's rumors about 296 people being injured too? Could get dicey. Um, how do you manage to avoid copyright issues on YouTube? I don't. Did your Islam video get copyright claim? They tried. Um, I assume that's why you started Patreon and put up the video for YouTube members, correct? I figured your format, blah, 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 would be enough to avoid copyright. Look, I believe that what I do is absolutely fair use. And so we are pursuing content and will continue to pursue content along those guidelines. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm very confident that what I do is... Um, within fair use. Now, if YouTube changes its policies, I don't know what to say about that, but as it stands within the realm of what is acceptable by YouTube, I, I don't I don't in any way think that what I'm doing is um, not within the boundaries of acceptable content. But different parties di disagree. There is a copyright system you have to navigate. So, yeah. But it's back up. So go take a look. All right, let's see what you got here. Okay, let's do some true-false. I used to do those all the time on the other one. Here we go. All right, here are three true-false scenarios. Kamara Usman is in the blue corner against DDP at the end of 24 for the middleweight strap. Ooh, false. Sean O'Malley becomes double champ in bantamweight and featherweight at the end of 24. False. Volk fights Connor at featherweight before either one of them retire. False. I will say this. Did you guys see that DC uh, was suggesting that Volk, excuse me, DC was suggesting that Islam fight Connor? Y'all see that? It's hard to know because of his proximity to the company to what extent that's just his idea versus any idea that they want him to share. Um, I don't know. But what I can say is, while that fight absolutely should not happen, uh, there's, would it surprise you if they did? Would it really surprise you if they had the heir to the throne of Habib, so to speak, fight his top rival? I mean, the amount of attention Islam would get and what it would do for his celebrity, like just in the same way or in a similar way that it happened for Habib, it would blow him up to like the highest levels of sports. Do I think that they want to do that? Yeah, I think that they, you know, probably do want to do. I don't think that they will right away. I don't. I, I'm expressing skepticism about it. I, I think there are too many other factors getting in the way of that. But it's ideas. But doesn't sound doesn't sound implausible by what the UFC normally tries to do. You know,
Um, someone's asking, is there any worry that when the Showtime deal ends and the YouTube algorithm is going to go through MK's catalog and copyright strikes that have Showtime material, who's going to enforce them if Showtime no longer exists? Also, remember, Showtime is just being sunset. Like, I'm not changing employers. My employment is still exactly, it's still CBS. So, like, who would be enforcing the copyright strikes? I don't know, like zombie Showtime or something? By the way, I've seen some reports being like, oh, I saw a report yesterday. I think it was like ESPN Mexico. Where they were like, oh, yeah, there's going to be Showtime pay-per-views in 2024. Now, let me tell you, folks, again, people don't exactly like, you know, call me on the phone and tell me exactly what's going to happen tomorrow with everything. But everything I have heard tells me that ain't at all fucking happening. <laughs> like, guys, when it like it's all turning into a pumpkin at the end of the year. I mean, that is it. That is fucking it. They are just going to sunset the brand. And that's all she wrote. That's that's the end of it. Like, there is no other... There's no there there beyond what I'm telling you now. So, um... I don't know who's coming up with these reports about Showtime pay-per-views in 2024. I know they existed at during the time of Canelo Charlo Fight Week. But everything I've heard internally and everything they said externally... Yeah, that ain't... I mean, I know the people who work on these shows. They're not going to have jobs. <laughs> like, who's going to do them? It doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense. Not that, I, that I'm aware of. That I'm aware of. So, watch the, watch, watch the news break after this. That like, oh, they're going to extend the contract or some crazy shit. Who knows, you know? All right, let's see. Oh, this is an interesting one. Let's get to that. How do you think Islam's head kick finish over Volk impacts both Volk's and Taporia's strategy in their potential fight? This is assuming the fight is taking place after January to give Volk a recovery. Okay. Additionally, how do you think the head kick finish impacts Islam's strategy in a rematch with Oliveira? Uh, not much, maybe. Islam mentioned in his post-fight interview that the low body strikes up the head kick was the same plan for Oliveira. It's the same plan for everybody. It's the same plan for everybody in that sense. Yeah. Um... So if you go back and you look at the fight with Volk, let's do this real quick. All right. Let's do this. Oh, Jesus. Fuck me. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Turn this off. Okay. Ah, no, I can't do it. It doesn't work. All right. Doesn't matter. Point I want to make is a couple things, a few things that you should notice about that fight that I made in the point of the breakdown. Namely, partly Volk uh, had trouble moving to one side, right? So Volk is standing like this. He has trouble going to this side because this is where all the kicks are coming, right? They're all coming here. So he has to keep this somewhat chambered. Um, and he has to be aware of movement to that side. But if you notice, Islam is cutting him off as he tries to go this way, right? He's trying to go this way, and Islam is cutting him off there. So he got a little bit corralled was one part. The other part was he got fainted backwards, right? He gets fainted into going backwards and back and back. Like it just kept going and going and going and going to the point where you're like, okay, he's now much more contained, much more controlled, by all of this, he would he often wants to do that stance switch, and then he would get into this side, and then he would throw that hook 
in that way. He could never really get that going, I think, in part because he was kind of defensively shelled up. So the the level of activity from Islam was big, right? He upped the number of things. He went from um, 10 significant strikes landed in the first round, the, the complete first round, and then in the second fight landed 24 significant strikes in just three minutes. So he was throwing a lot more. He was cutting off a lot more effectively. He was forcing Volk to be much more defensively um, oriented, I think is a good way to put that, um, and pushing him backwards, right? Because Volk was just kind of sliding out of the way. So he was putting a hand here, a hand here, and he was sliding out of the way every time you had a kick from Makachev coming. So between the fact that we're closing off exits, we're pushing backwards, and we're chambering things, so he can't be active and he has to be defensively kind of um, reserved, and then you add in the fact that it's low, low, high, right? All of that contributed to it. The question is, was that just the way that Makachev was able to pull that off? Or is there something to the idea that that's a blueprint? And I know that folks have said, oh, well, he's taken high kicks before. But yeah, they were, they were different. Like the Max one came over this side, not the southpaw side. It came over the same shoulder. It came over the opposite shoulder, excuse me. So that it's not exactly the same. But this idea that like the defense that he tries to occupy when he crunches down, it just leaves enough where um, if you're active enough and your cage cutting is aggressive enough and you're, and you're, again, the level of activity of feints and strikes and feints and strikes pushes him back, you know, in certain ways, that's a little bit of Volk's game being used against him the, where, you're, where you're throwing. I just interviewed Kieran, uh, Kieran Fitzgibbons from CSA Gym on the MK channel where he talks about occupying the space. You're not throwing everything to land. You're throwing everything so that the other person just can't get going. And he did that. To what extent is that a blueprint for somebody else? I'd be curious to see what Taporia does with that. I'd be curious to see. Um, now, Taporia uh, is not Islam in any number of different ways. Not least of which is Taporia is an orthodox fighter, right? If I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Um... Taporia is, if I recall correctly, yeah, he's an Orthodox fighter. So um, I know he can do some switching. I don't know to what extent he can do enough switching for it to matter. But what you're essentially asking is, to what extent is what Makachev did, to what extent is that reproducible by somebody else? I have a feeling that some of it is. I have a feeling some of it is. I have a feeling that you know, again, I'll say it one more time: when a guy has a when a guy has to lose one eighty one to one fifty four point five, that's what he did in terms of his weight, and he comes out of there and says, "I just didn't feel like myself, dude. You didn't feel like yourself because your your body went through something through all of that. It's not an accident. It's not an accident." Um, so with a full camp and everything else, maybe he won't necessarily be that way, but then he might be just more vulnerable to punishment by virtue of everything else that's happened around him previously. So yeah, it's a big mess. All right, let's see if there's anything else we got here. Oh, God, do I want to get into this one? If it comes up in the paid one, then I'll read it. But if not, I don't want to read this one here. Uh, let's see. How... <laughs> Let's see. Oh, 
someone asked, given the position he's in, while highly unlikely, does Alex Pereira have the best chance amongst active fighters of becoming the first UFC three-weight champion? Connor still stands a chance in the sense that he'd be the most eligible to get a title shot at welterweight off the flimsiest of circumstances, right? Just because he's Connor. So in that sense, maybe he's the leading candidate. Also, before we say Pereira is like a candidate for three weights, he needs to beat Yuri first, right? Um, if he gets two titles, we can talk about it. However, I see what you're saying. Given his frame and how shitty heavyweight is, relatively speaking, is it conceivable that he could win this one, go up to heavyweight and win another one up there against like a Pavlovich or, you know, or whoever? Uh, possible, but you're, I mean, at that point, you're getting very, very, very far ahead of yourself. Let's see what he looks like at 205. Well, we see him 205, but let's see what he looks like against Yuri in this upcoming fight and then, you know, draw some conclusions from there. There will be somebody who becomes the first three-weight champ. I have a feeling it'll be someone who goes middleweight, light heavyweight, heavyweight, or somebody who does it in the weight classes where they're only 10 pounds apart, you know, 25, 35, 45, or whatever, something like that. I, I feel like it'll be there, but because anything in the middle, like 55, 70, 85, just doesn't work, or 45. Again, Connor might be able to do 45, 55, 170, but I don't think anyone really believes he's going to beat Leon or anyone at 170 who is title eligible or holding it. So, yeah. All right. Let's see what you got for any of the uh, members who want to contribute to the paid portion or anybody who's just feeling generous. Uh, no judgment if you don't want to participate. I appreciate all of you guys just the same. Okay? All right. Let's see what you got. By the way, new member, thanks to Chris. Appreciate you, bro. Here we go. Uh, this gentleman asks, why is PED use very rampant in the UK among average Joes? It's rampant in the United States among average Joes. Dude, why would an average human want to take something that would make them not average anymore guys i just i just can't understand why someone would want to use guys why would someone want to use drugs to better their life guys think about something for just a second why do people take drugs now sometimes you might be arguing well they're addicted i'm not talking about people who have gone so far down the rabbit hole that they're pharmacologically addicted i'm asking like why would someone want to recreationally either for moments of frivolity or for something that matters to them but is ultimately you know, a uh, pursuit of a hobby, essentially. Why would someone want to use drugs? Because it makes it better. Like, people take drugs at concerts because it enhances their experience in the way that which they want it to be enhanced, both in terms of the memories they build or the friendships or the way they experience art. Why do people want to get drunk at, 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 at tailgates? It, it, to, in their mind, it meaningfully enhances the experience. Why would someone average want to take some kind of drugs that would make them much stronger than they ordinarily would be able to get because it meaningfully enhances their experience. It's not really a mystery why people want to use drugs. It makes shit a lot better. Now, if you use it too much or the wrong way or in the wrong dose, I'm talking about in, you know reasonably intelligent use cases. As we all know, if you don't if you don't mind the label with a Tylenol bottle, it'll kill you. You know, I mean, you have to do these things in an intelligent way, but in an intelligent circumstance, is there a reason why people use drugs? Yeah. It makes shit better. Uh, this should be very obvious. Uh, OG Icy. Can't believe I said that word. What is Which is the more triumphant victory? Izzy finally KOing Alex 
on his fourth try or Max, if Max got the rematch again and KO'd Volk on his fourth try? I think someone asked me this before. It's got to be reasonably commensurate, right? Like, they can't be that different. Um, it might be Izzy since he got put out twice or he got put out once and then stopped another time and Volk never stopped Max. But in terms of, like, the doors that were closed, like, the difference was all of Max's losses happened in UFC. Only one of Izzy's losses happened in UFC, and he was able to rebound from that. So it wasn't as, like, deleterious in that way. So in certain ways, Max's would be more triumphant, but in other ways, Izzy's was, right? If the UFC 279 false flag theory is true in regards to Hamzat's weight miss, where would that rank amongst shady things the UFC has done that has ever been that has never been made public? Uh, first of all, I don't want to be clear. I don't believe any of it, or at least and, and a bit. Okay, as I said before on MK, based on what Hamzat is saying, many more questions deserve to be asked. How do these fucking guys who went to the fucking power slap thing yesterday not ask about this, or did they ask and it just didn't come up, or he didn't answer it, or whatever? This is what kind of kills me about some of the media that go to that. It's like, dude, fucking follow up on that. What is the story there? All right. I admit that there is more questions that need to be asked. I'm going to tell you that until I have more evidence, I'm going to assume it's not true. On the hypothetical situation that you're positing, if it were true, that would be extremely fucking shady. That would be, you could get you, you could lose your promotional license for something like that. Um, you could change all the fights in the way that you wanted to, but telling the public there was a large fight that uh, and a gigantic weight miss that may or may not have even been real, in again, under the conspiracy or the, the posited conspiracy scenario, but you went through with that and then it wasn't like you're actively lying to all of the public and the fans and the media and everything else, which they've done before, but not quite to this extent. Yeah, that would be bad. That would be very, very bad. I'm not exactly sure where it, where it would rank, but it would not be good. Fear of Napalm says, Just got into 90s death metal since you were around then. <laughs> Is the, are the satanic lyrics and imagery used by bands like DSI just for show legitimate? Uh, I don't know about DSI specifically. What I can tell you is that some of the bands do it just for like shits and giggles, and then some are like semi into it. My wife made me... Who did I see? Dude, it may have been Cannibal Corpse. I, may, I went to a Cannibal Corpse show, and I think one of the bands that opened for them, and listen, if y'all like them, great. They look to me like old-ass pro wrestlers trying to dress up. I think it was like Celtic Frost or something. Where, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, they had the face. They, they, they looked like, I mean, guys, if you're dressing up, like, and you're, you look like a mix between a washed pro wrestler and, uh, like, a hardcore Kiss fan, it's time to, like, find a new gimmick. That's just me personally speaking. Your mileage may vary. Uh, and there were times like, you know, where you, you guys have been to like a, you know, even like just a regular rock show where like the, like the, the band is like, yeah, yeah. And then the lights are coming on every time they were do, I, I went to go, I went to go take a piss when they did this, when they did it, there were, there was one thing where they were like, they were like, I forget exactly what the, uh, the beat was like, but it was like, hail Satan, hail Satan. I was like, all right, not that I, it, it could be for show. Listen, either is for show and I don't care. Or they're just doing dumb shit, and I also don't care. You know, but either way, I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm going to do my thing. And then, you know, they were off, and I asked my wife, I was like, was that real? She thought, she thinks it's a bit, or, you know, halfway a bit. Um, some of the Nordic bands, as I understand, have, like, 
Christian hostility, but those are not typically the bands that I listen to. Not that I, not that that would necessarily preclude me from listening to them. I just don't like that kind of music. Uh, thanks to Brian Winters, bro. Appreciate you. Uh, all right. So this, he says, I think Islam will go up after two more title defenses to make way for Usman to join the UFC at 155. Yeah, that could happen. If he could win a title, it would be an incredible accomplishment for that team. Yeah, that team is just nothing but born winners. Basically. Now, Islam has a team that I think is somewhat separate from the Nurmagomedov team. Like, they overlap, but I think he's got a couple of guys that are a little bit different. But, um, you know, dude, if if it goes from, like, uh, basically Habib giving it away so Islam can get it, so he gives it away so that Usman can get it, you're talking about, like, a dynastic team in a way that's almost unheard of in MMA where they completely beat everybody else and then give up titles and then the next hand-picked guy gets it. And they did that over, essentially, uh, two different rotations. That's basically unheard of. That would, that, that would require a level of dominance over the game that you just don't really see. You've seen it where a guy gives up and then someone else gets it. Or like in Bellator, like, you know, Patricio was a two-weight world champion. He dropped one, then his brother got it. That's kind of a thing you can see. But like this, I mean, just think about the, the, how long the reign is from Habib being a champion to how long it might take for that to happen if Usman were to get it. And it's just basically all the same team doing it. That's, that's fucking insane. That's fucking insane. And by the way, possible. Oh, uh, there we go. I already got that one. Next one. Chris asks, Luke, uh, do we get Poirier Gaethje 3 before we get Gaethje Makachev? No. I know Justin has been on record stating that this is his next fight or nothing, but 291 did over three. Well, did over one million buys. I don't know who reported that. If Dave Meltzer reported it, then it's probably true. Um, I don't know who else reported that. But what I would say is, I don't think you're. I mean, he head kick KO'd him. Like, what's the case for the rematch? Like, what's? Oh, it's the trilogy. But like, are people like clamoring for? I don't. I don't really see a great appetite for it. Conversely, I think more people might want to... I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the fan base wants. Does the fan base want Makachev Oliveira or Makachev Gaethje more? Again, the Makachev Gaethje one is a fresh matchup. It'd be, it'd be fun for as long as it lasted. Um, I guess it really would depend on what the fan sentiment is at the time when the UFC wants to make these decisions. Tyler asks, Favorite striking instructional slash system? Are you familiar with Barry Robinson's One Million Styles of Boxing? Yes. If so, your thoughts. I've not seen the stuff he. I've not seen that one that he put out on um, on striking fanatics. Of the striking ones I've seen, most of the better ones I've seen have been grappling ones. You're gonna laugh at me for saying this, but it's true. James Krause's uh, cage takedown defense uh, tutorial is great. It's really good. <laughs> I hate to tell you that. It's really good. Um, striking. What are some of the better striking ones? I'll tell you this much, too. You guys know Bomack, right? Big old Bomack, who was the trainer of uh, Bud Crawford. I, I watched his jab instructional. It's like the worst one I've ever seen. Like the fucking worst instructional I've ever seen. I was sh- I was like, that's part of the reason why I was like, oh, yeah, Spence is going to win. Because I was like, dude, Bomack, I mean, this instructional is terrible. Um, which is not, you know. BJJ Fanatics has, and Striking Fanatics has a lot of great content. The best striking one I've ever seen, I mean, Kieran Fitzgibbon's ones are all great. He's got a few of them in there. They're all good. Barry Robinson, from stuff I've seen, it's been good. I haven't seen some of the ones you're talking about, but 
There's some other ones I've seen. Um, probably Kyrian's, honestly. Probably some of his stuff. Boo, Captain V. Boo. I must be missing something. All right. Uh, Trapton asks, is Staff Infection the best base for MMA? <laughs> but seriously, does the commission take no action when fighters admit to lying on their pre-fight screenings? I don't think they want to find them in cases like that. And since the UFC is self-regulating, they're almost certain not to do shit like that. But I have seen them do things like that where if you lie to the doctors... Because remember, you have to sign a document like affirming that everything you're saying is true. And if you're saying, oh, I don't have any of these ailments, and then afterwards you do, that means you like expressly lie to the commission. In many cases, they don't look favorably upon that. But like, do they want to take money or shit like that from you? They're usually a little reluctant. So you probably get a phone call about it, you know. Thank you to Taylor. Thank you again to Brian. Uh, that Indian dude says, exasperate Luke, these... These are the level of my antagonist. Justin Gaethje, I like Abu Dhabi for their values. Be careful what you wish for. I mean, just a few things I have to say on that. Not a whole lot. One thing that people keep saying, I, I've gotten a couple emails from folks being like, you know, what you're really critical of like these Arab countries and, um, and you don't say much about the U.S. It's like, well, first of all, no, I'm not critical of these Arab countries. I'm critical of these Arab governments. Big fucking difference, guys. Big fucking difference. Okay. Now, obviously, the way in which a country is governed, and either whether that's good or bad, um, effectively governed or not, that's going to have an impact on how you enjoy or understand that country. The two are not utterly inextricable. Um, but I try not to judge anyone's rich culture and history uh, and language and food and music and any of this stuff. I don't judge it on the level or who is in charge of their governments. I hope everyone understands that. And for folks who might be like, oh, you've never been to these places, been to Israel, been to Gaza, been to the West Bank, been to Jordan, been to Egypt, been to Turkey, been to Saudi Arabia when I was a kid, been to Qatar. Uh, I've been to more of these places than virtually anybody else you know in real life. Okay, been to, I went to Lebanon in 2018. My mom was born in Aleppo, Syria, and lived uh, up until she was 24 years old in Lebanon. Like, so this, I, uh, does anyone remember? Does anybody remember? For a whole year when I hosted the MMA Hour, pop quiz everybody, what flag was on my desk when I hosted the MMA Hour for a year? One flag Every time. What flag was that? Does anyone remember? And by all means, please go check the tape. If you think I'm in any way exaggerating. What was the flag that was on my desk for 50 episodes that I did? I think it's how many I did of the MMA Hour. The answer is the Lebanese flag. I had an Arab countries, and I realize that you know there's a lot of different people who live in, in, in Lebanon. I had an Arab countries flag on. I didn't even have the fucking U.S. flag. And I got that flag, by the way. Um, in Byblos, which is a city uh, in Lebanon where the fucking alphabet was invented. And hence, you know why libraries are called biblioteca? It's from the root word, right? Been to, uh, being to these places doesn't make me an expert on any of them, but they're not far away places of my imagination. I've seen them. My family on my mother's side comes from them. And I have been an advocate and remain one for Palestinian causes all my life. Okay? So when people get bitter at me for criticizing the UAE government, I'm criticizing the UAE government. 
And when they say things like it's the safest city in the world, safe for who? It is not safe for people who don't like the government. It is not safe for Lebanese doctors, this happened, who tweeted you know, jokes about them, then flew there for vacation, and they fucking imprisoned him. That was in 2018. That was in 2018. Sorry, guys. You're, you're not, whoever out, whoever out there, you're not going to trick me into thinking I'm criticizing anything about those people or their cultures. That's not what's happening. I'm criticizing authoritarian governments and people don't equal their governments, especially in cases like in authoritarian regimes where they have no fucking choice. They have no choice. Or in the case of, sadly, in Lebanon, they can't figure out how to work together and haven't been able to for quite some time and they have collectively ruined it. I don't blame the average Lebanese person for that. That's insane. So like one of the things I really, really hope that everyone understands about any criticism about any of these countries, it's not about their people. It's not about their culture. You don't hear me saying shit about that. You only expressly ever hear me say something about their authoritarian regimes. And the same question comes up. Like, what about the U.S.'s crimes? Guys, the U.S. government is extremely hard to defend, and I won't really try all that hard. My only point, and especially the leadership that they're showing these days, just abysmally awful in every way. I mean... Hard to even fathom that my tax dollars are going to what they're going to. Um, But again, I hope people understand that government doesn't equal me. And me, I don't equal that government. And the same people who are in Lebanon, who are in Qatar, who are in Saudi Arabia, who are in Oman, in Yemen, in Egypt, in, in Jordan, in all of these places, their government doesn't equal them. So if you're making a criticism about the government, understand that's what it's about. It's a criticism of the government and the way in which they run it. And by the way, I'm unimpeachably right. I'm unimpeachably right about the state of the authoritarian regime. If you are an academic or anybody who speaks out about the government, you're going to fucking jail. Period. That's the way that it goes. Sorry, I'm just not going to look the other way on a place I actually like a lot. Not so much the UAE, but the Arab world has been a part of my... My mom's not Arab, she was Armenian, but they've been a part of my life like... I own that that's the frame of reference that my mom came from. She spoke Arabic. Like that the Arab world is where she is from. Uh she never even went to Armenia, you know? She never went to Yerevan. She didn't know anything. She never went there. The Arab world was her life. Her passport is in Arabic. So don't believe anybody. Please don't believe anybody who wants you to think Criticism of a nation's government, whatever that nation is, this country, Canada, Arab countries, you name it, anybody, that you're criticizing their people and you're criticizing their culture. You're criticizing their government and the actions that they take. And you are very much right to say it. And the people who don't want you to do that, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, why is the truth so difficult? Tell me. What is What pains people about the truth? It's the state of the world. We're not allowed to talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about the fact that, yeah, they don't have street crime in Abu Dhabi. That's true. That is very true. They don't have any street crime. People enjoy their lives there. Great. Great. Safe for who? Safe for who? Right? The jails are filled with people who will tell you it is not safe. Okay. 
That's the first thing I'd say. So please don't get it twisted. Please go back and look at every episode of the MMA Hour I did and make sure you screenshot what flag was on my desk visibly, prominently noted. Please do that. That aside, uh, and by the way, like it's true about Latin America too. Like, do you think I judge Colombia based on their fucking government? <laughs> I mean, yeah, to the extent their government can't do a great job of keeping the place in order, it will impact your experience. That's true. Yes, of course that is true. But like, do you think I judge Colombian heritage and culture and their language and their food and their music and everything based on Petro? Based on, you know, any of these fucking people? Like, why on earth would I do that? The people aren't their government. The government aren't their... I mean, it's just, this is just fucking madness. That's not what I do. And yeah, their government's not great either, by the way. I mean, they're not going to throw you in jail for calling them shitheads, but um, they don't do a great... They, they do a really bad job. They, I mean, and Petro is by himself right now not great. Uribe. Like, do you think I associate my wife with Uribe? Why would I do that? That's fucking insane. But if I have criticisms of Uribe, I'm going to say them. If I have criticisms of Petro, Petro, I'm going to say them. They're not the same. All right. That aside, I cannot even take possibly seriously. And I, and I, I take Justin Gaethje seriously. I do. I take him seriously. I, I, we saw him at the, um, we saw him at the World MMA Awards in 2021, and he was very friendly to us. He actually, actually, I'll, I'll give Gaethje credit. We were, he was seated, and we were. I think we had already won. Oh, that's right. So we had, they had, we had already won, and you get the award, and then you speak, and then you go to the back, and then you, you know, you get the, you take pictures and stuff, and then uh, you have to give the, uh, the trophy back. And then you come out the other side. Gaethje was there sitting. I think he was dipping, but, you know, I've, I've done that shit too. And, uh, and he actually stopped me to tell me congratulations. I really appreciate that. Now, I appreciated it then that night. I appreciated it a lot. But, like, I actually have a lot of respect for Justin Gaethje as a person, certainly as an athlete, you know. Um, and I'm not going to talk bad about him. I don't have – you know, he can talk bad about me. I'm not going to talk bad about him. I don't, I don't know him enough to say – you know, who he is or who he isn't, but, you know, there's just no way I can accept, uh, I, I can't possibly take seriously what he wrote about Kadyrov, and I don't think he could ever expect me to take it seriously. I mean, guys, the score is this. If you're going to, like, the guys like Hamzat, the guys like um, like Habib and Islam, I don't know what their true views are, but it's hard to know what, what it's hard to know, like, what choice they have, right? But if you're an American, you got a choice. And if you make a choice to take that money, then defend the choice, but, like, turning it into, like, I don't know this guy's name, like, this a Chechnya guy, and, like, the look in the children's eyes. Like, guys, the score is what the score is. Either defend it or don't. But making up or, or t- trying to turn it into some, like, good life, good fight foundation story of, like, civic service, I just can't. I don't have a response to that. It's so far from what the actual conversation is. So, like, I can't, I can't even possibly take that... Um, explanation uh even halfway seriously there's just there's there's nothing there there's nothing to that i take justin gaethje seriously i take his career seriously i take that he doesn't like my views or the airing of them or some combination of that I, I he doesn't like it which is his right i accept that i fully accept that 
I fully accept and understand that. But that explanation, where like, like of course, like if you admit, if you admit to knowing the name, then you know what I mean. Like the, the only way you can pretend to not know that there are horrendous crimes associated with these people is to pretend like you don't really know them. You know, um, and he's 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 a smart guy. He's a smart guy. So listen, you guys can all. And but by the way, people can make a defense of this. You know, and again, I have an iPhone. Like, you think that this was ethically made? You know? Like, fucking of course not. There's, there's TikTok on my phone. Like, there's any... We all have ethical compromises, but the point is, like, why am I... Why is anyone, not just me, anyone, why is anyone not even allowed to ask questions about this shit? How is that all... Again, what is so harmful about the truth? What is harmful? What is so bad about it? I don't know what the answer is. Um, I genuinely don't know what the answer to that is. But the only thing I can say about it is, um, you know, I I wouldn't even, and I mean this sincerely, if someone got like a donation from somewhere and you don't want to ask questions where it came from, but there's like no strings attached, I don't give a shit. I really don't. Life is short. I don't care. Just take it. Whatever. Who cares? But of course, there's an exchange that has to get made. Either defend the exchange or don't. Right? That's That's the score. So if there's going to be that kind of a conversation, I'm happy to have one. But if there's not, like, you know, I don't even know. There's nothing to say about that response. That's not that. There's there's not there's no there there. You know. So. All right. Should Usman fight Whitaker at 85? I know Whitaker wants it. I'm cool with that. Or Wonder Boy at 170 next. Um. I gotta tell you, the Whitaker fight might do him some good. And we just talked about it. Big name. Both guys coming off losses, one worse than the other. Former welterweights, so you don't have to worry about negotiating some crazy size difference. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. When sickness runs rampant in a BJJ gym, would you say they are experiencing staff shortage? (laughs) You can add this to your repertoire of dad jokes. Yeah, people get sick and they still show up to training. You're going to get a cold, man. You're going to get a cold. All right, um, Super Dave asks, if no one asks, can you ask Luke thoughts on the Gaethje versus Max? Max Yeah, dude. Gaethje versus Max is a sick fight. It's a difficult fight. And uh, by the way, I think I forgot to mention this. I think that Gaethje told Mark Ramundi he like doesn't want to punch Max in the face because he actually really likes him. So like it wasn't like high on his list of priorities, but it's a great fight. Um, I think it's winnable in either direction. I'd probably favor Gaethje, probably. But again, you know, Max is surprising. Has a great gas tank. Yeah, yeah, I would favor Gaethje. I would favor Gaethje. But, yeah. I mean, it's a sick fight. It's a sick fight. How would you rate your do-it-yourself skills? On certain... Like anything else. On certain things, really good. And on other ones, like, really bad. (laughs) Um, It's very easy for me to, like, crack open a book or watch a video to, like, learn something I didn't know before. Uh, and sometimes even use it practically, but um, there are certain things where I just don't have the same, like, I, I've never been, like, I don't have a green thumb, for example, like, tending to a garden, like, I don't have the patience or interest in that, you know, I don't, I, 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 no. Luke, did you see the translation of what Hamzat said post-fight, urging to fight and to kill Israelis? Did he say kill Israelis? I don't think he said that. But I think he did say he'd grab a rifle and stick up for the fight. Yeah, I mean, to me, the bigger issue is that um, the solidarity that Islam Makachev expressed with the Palestinian people, uh, that portion of the post-fight interview was cut out when it was posted on YouTube. And, you know, 
I didn't see a lot of the free speech brigade getting very upset about that. I think that's a bigger issue. I, I don't know what to make of Hamzat saying that. Um, I saw some translation. Here's the thing. I saw some translations. I don't know how accurate they were. And some of his language was euphemistic. So... I have to think about that one more. I guess my mind is more on the fact that the what Islam said was kind of edited out. Or not kind of, but definitely edited out. Do you know, uh, Johnson asked, do you know of there being any sports radio stations in major U.S. markets that have some MMA content? Not really. So here locally, there's 106.7 The Fan, and then there's, uh, ES, or it was ESPN, the Team 980 are the two big sports stations in town. They will occasionally touch on it. But only if it's like a really big fight, like a like Connor versus Habib, they'll get touched. Other than that, not really. Craig Carton had me on with uh, Boomer once before. He had me on with I think who do you, who was you on with like Gino Geo something like that. Um, so like they'll they'll do it on occasion, but like consistently, no. It's not if you're in a market, if you're in Dallas, if you're in L.A., if you're in D.C., Atlanta, any top ten market. Um, they're going to want you to focus on the hometown teams. There will be some national coverage, obviously, and if you're in L.A., the Lakers are a national story or whatever, but in general, they want you to focus on... Here, it's like Wizards, Caps, Nats, Commanders, you know. Any tips on improving reading comprehension? I have a two-month-old at home, and I've been struggling with it recently. You know what? Uh, your reading comprehension will improve when you're... Uh, not reading tolerance, but your... I'll say this, the best thing that ever happened for me in terms of reading comprehension for difficult things, don't take notes on a computer, pull out a notepad and write a note down about it, write a note down about it. Um, and then you can search around if what you're reading is there's probably gonna be somebody else who's read it and has supplementary content you can look into to see what they mean, but don't even just read that, write stuff down, write stuff down, pen, pad, write it down. You cannot imagine how much that helps. Also, if you're on your phone all the time and then you're on your computer and then you're back to your phone and then you're on the PlayStation or whatever, you're not giving your brain time to synthesize anything. Cal Newport has, you guys don't know who Cal Newport is? Cal Newport has a lot of work on digital distraction that I think you should read. Um, a lot of what's going on is just the fact that our brains can't tolerate much by how overworked and overcomplicated they are and other other factors. From a striking perspective, how much trouble does Ilya Tapuria give Volk on the feet? In boxing range, a lot. Um, in kicking range, it's a little bit harder. I think, not much, I don't think. Zane says, just, uh, just showing support, DMV local. Thanks for the content. Shouts to see you, Zane. Thank you, bro. Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, Sky says, are the pound for pound rankings simply based on the most recent win? I mean, yeah. Islam has two lightweight wins in the top 10 and two wins over a smaller champion makes him pound for pound best. Guys, he didn't just beat a smaller guy. He, the smaller guy he beat was considered to also be a pound for pound great, and he finished him. That should count big time. Yes, that should count. What do you want to put him number one? Whatever is debatable, I suppose, but. Like, what's, oh, he just beat a smaller guy. Guys, the smaller guy he beat is, like, the smaller guy. Like, the guy. And he finished him off inside of a round. Yeah, you count that. You count that. Big time. Brendan says, really love your show. As someone who's getting to BJJ later at 36, good luck, bro. 
My goal is to get stronger and maybe compete in the future just for fun in some local matches. How realistic is this? Uh, BJJ is really not going to make you stronger. If you're out of shape and you're losing weight and you're doing push-ups and squats and then you're dragging people through their gi and stuff, you'll get a little bit stronger that way. But the reality about training jiu-jitsu is, remember, you're trying to use as little force or everything as possible. Here we go. Oh, it's my wife. Yo, I'm telling you, she got trapped. Not trapped, but she got stuck. Um, okay. She, uh, anyway, you're trying to use as little effort as possible. And over time, it will make you weak. You have to strength train in addition to doing jujitsu. You can't do it separately. Um, but having some fun in local matches, you can definitely do that. Easy. No problem. You can do that every weekend if you want. Uh, Welchi says, if there's no existing question already, blah, 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 what are your initial thoughts on the Yuri Alex fight? I think it's very hard to predict. Is Yuri just too frenetic? I mean, dude, we, it's like, it's, <laughs> this is like the worst analysis imaginable, but it's like he's either going to get knocked out or he's going to knock the other guy out. He's physical and dynamic and powerful and unpredictable, but he's wide open at the same time. Your guess is as good as mine. Pereira should be able to pick him off, but like, Don't know. Is the 35-year-older stat the most reliable stat in MMA that I know of? It's the most reliable stat, but we don't know if it's the most reliable. Uh, thank you, Damien. Joe says, watch out for Moses uh, Itauma on the Fury versus Francis card this weekend. 18-year-old heavyweight amateur world and European gold medalist. One to watch. Okay. Unless that's some kind of racist name I just said, and it's some joke you're playing, if that's a real person... Duly noted. Thank you for the donation. I appreciate you. There's Jay. Thank you, Jay. All right, Luke. As a fan working in film, takes on MK, our frankly often clown, penis. I may be pedantic, movie Grinch, but please let me give you a rec. A separation by Asgar Farhadi. Okay, I may have just said another name that I don't know about, but trust me, it's for you. If uh, Let me just... Let me just Am I just saying racist name? No, that's a real person. Oh, he's Iranian. Oh, hold on. I, I think I've seen one of his movies. I have to look up his... his, uh, his I, what was the one that I... Here, here's his filmography. Okay, Low Heights, Dancing in the Dust, Beautiful City, Fireworks Wednesday, Canaan, Tambourine, About Italy, Trial on the Street, A Separation, The Past, The Salesman. Maybe is The Salesman the one I've seen? Every, is The Salesman the one I've seen? Yes. The Salesman is the one I've seen. Um, okay. Which one did you... You said The Separation. I've not seen The Separation. But uh, I have seen The Salesman. It's amazing. There's also... Fuck, what is the name? There's a Lebanese movie that was unbelievable. There was a guy... It's about a dispute that happens between... Uh, a guy who's working, who is Palestinian, living in Lebanon, and another guy who he's like repairing a home. Oh, it's called The Insult. The Insult, right? Is that it? The Insult movie. Yes, 2017. It's a Lebanese movie. Here, let me show it to you. This one. Um, this joint. Here, let me do this. Uh, let's do this one. There. That's not the best way to look at it, but the insult. This movie is absolutely incredible um, and really depressing, but like in a good way, but like a bad way. And there's this whole trial over whether someone 
was harmed by an insult, and but it crosses all these lines about Lebanese society and how even the Lebanese, in this particular way the movie presents it, don't treat Palestinians that well, and the Palestinian rage that they feel about how being mistreated even in this country. It's just this fucking phenomenal movie. The insult, if you've never seen it, go check that shit out. Not not to this person who wrote me, but to anybody else out there. The insult. What a phenomenal movie that is. Thoughts on Factory X, Mark Montoya. I've interviewed Mark Montoya a million times. Uh, you know, I'd love to reconnect if there's a way. I don't know if there is, but dude, he's he's a mega talent. He's a mega talent, and then some. You know, Mark Montoya, let me just say this very clearly about Mark Montoya. Nothing about his success is accidental. Smart, thoughtful, capable, experienced. I think he beat cancer. You know, I just don't have anything bad to say about Mark Montoya. I mean, I think there's been times I disagreed with him, pretty strongly even at times, about times when or he did or did not stop a fight for one of his, at working the corner. But um, short of those disagreements, I think he is a, you know, He's just one. He's just. He's very clearly one of the very best in the business. You know, no denying it. Why is the best MMA striker taking on the best boxer considered more daunting than the best MMA grappler taking on the best competitive grappler? Because, um, in you, you can it, one the pomp and circumstance around it makes it a bigger deal. But the other point is, remember how much sparring you can do doing jujitsu. Did you look? Jujitsu is unlike virtually any other sport in terms of that you can spar literally every single day. Every single day. You can't do that in boxing. So there's like this mystery between them. There's like this mystery that that uh, gets affected. And so there's... There, and again, there's like you're crossing two different worlds also. Like boxing... Guys, I'm going to say it one more time. This is an overgeneralization, but there's kernels of truth to it. MMA audiences are predominantly white. Boxing audiences are predominantly black and Hispanic. That's not totally true, but that's largely true. And you're crossing different worlds when you go into one or the other. But jiu-jitsu and MMA are still all the same world. And you can do jiu-jitsu every day. You can spar your ass off at it. So you can actually get you know reasonably close-ish to some of the better guys in the world. You're not going to beat them. And as it's gotten more specialized, that's less true. But still, there are some differences between them. All right. Thoughts on doing a dedicated short show for OK Bet. The market for gambling content is... Oh, yeah, we know. Uh, We've talked about it. We've talked about it. Nothing planned right now, but we've talked about it. Yes, yes. The problem is BC and I aren't very good. Um, It's harder to pick. If you're doing up and down picks, we'd probably be okay. But when you have to do, like, pick a favorite, pick a what fight's not going to go to this, it gets a little harder when you do that. Um, author, or from Bill, Luke, any thoughts on the Anthony Pez versus Benson Henderson trilogy being signed to take place in karate combat? People seem very interested in it. It doesn't do much for me, but people seem interested. Die hard in my morning jacket fight. Not only am I not white, I'm Colombian. <laughs> well, there has to be some. There have to be some. Hey, there were, I, I saw like, I'm, I mean, it's kind of sad that I'm saying this, but there, there was like a few minorities at the Pantera show. Not many, but they were there. They were there. God bless them. They were there. All right, Scooby says, sup, uh, don- Top Donk, help the fam is doing well. How much? How does my smooth brain become a channel member? I want to give you, again, one more time, folks, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas slash join. You can just go to, or you just go to youtube.com slash Luke Thomas and there's a join button you can hit. If you're, if you're an iPhone person, it's going to be hard. All right? All right, there you go. Uh, Luke, one of my favorite fights is Islam v. Armin, okay? Although it was super close. 
Uh, I get the sense that Islam has progressed much faster in striking and would wash Armin if they fought today. Yes, probably so, although he was already more advanced at that time, meaning he was further along on his journey. And also, in fairness, that was Armin's UFC debut. Can you imagine that? Your UFC debut, you have to fight Islam Makachev? Fucking hell. Uh, Full Metal Pants says, Luke, where do you get your news? And uh, I get my uh, thoughts on breaking points. Yeah, uh, I don't watch breaking points all that often. I try when I can. I get a mix. Um, let's see. Ryan Grimm. I get it from um, I get it from some of the Intercept. Clen, uh, what's his name? Ken Klippenstein. Um, but, you know, I follow uh, Mary Catherine Hammer as well, who's, you know, right wing. Um, I subscribe to the Washington Post because it's my local newspaper, but I recognize, Jesus, especially with the shit going on in the Middle East, I've seen the limits of the American... Um, media ecosystem it's just the level of news is terrible um but okay listen i'm sure that there are problems with the uh, glenn greenwald i get a lot from him uh, i disagree with him considerably all the time but you know i do feel like it's important to hear from people when you can on that way um i do again i watch breaking points contra points um brianna joy gray at times um you know, on this uh, Middle East stuff, Omar Batter, uh, uh, Nora Erekat. Um, I get some stuff from BBC, uh, at times Al Jazeera, at times... I, you know, I mean, I'm all, I read news all day long. Um, I, listen, I, 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 these are some of the bigger names that I pay attention to, but um, yeah, something like that. Something like that. All right. This is from Man, uh, Manuel. Thank you, Manuel. Manuel, appreciate that. Very kind of you. Charles or Justin and why? You mean for Islam? I might even go Justin because it's a fresh matchup. But like the thing is, Charles had earned it. So it's like, we, are we just going to take that away from him? Uh, Luke, please find my comment in your community post under Dak. Okay, I'll take a look. Uh, Othello, make sure I find this comment, okay? Fear of napalm. What piece of technology that exists now would have blown 90s Luke's mind? Dude, the fucking iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, just think, I remember, dude, okay. How about this? Between my junior year and senior year of high school, the MP3 came out. Think about that for a second. MP3 didn't exist in as a consumer product before that. Now you don't even have that. You're even past that. Now you're just doing streaming with Apple, which wasn't nearly as big then, with Google, which wasn't anything near. I mean, Google was nothing then, or, or close to nothing anyway. Not much anyway. Uh, and now all of that is on this phone that I can film literal movies on. I mean, it's just, you know... It's just insane. Like the level of it, it, we were all we're kind of bored because every year it's like how much different is the iPhone 15 than the iPhone 14, right? But in the broader sweep of things, compared to that, it's like it's it's impossible to explain the difference. I'm not going to really go back into this one. The, I, I'll answer this part. You said you regretted putting out. Listen, if you've had to any extent any meaningful change of heart as events change over time. And I do think anybody through the pandemic can look at what they thought at the beginning and look at the end. And there's going to be clear changes in any number of different directions. If for no other reason things happened, we got better information, blah, blah, blah. But the way in which I handled it was so slipshod 
that I'm not sure I accurately, in fact, I'm sure I did not accurately in, in certain cases give a fair recitation of what I believed. Um, and that kills me because opening it back up just continues this over and over and over and over and over again. I rushed into this quick response that I should never have rushed into. And if you're going to like have some kind of public acknowledgement about any different changes that you feel like, first of all, like, is it even worth bringing up? But to the, that can be. And to the extent that it is take your time to do it carefully. Fucking hell. That's good advice for anybody in any circumstance. Take your time to do it carefully. I did not. And, uh, and now uh, it just is what it is. Is Duplessis win overstated? Robert failed to make basic adjustments with body shots, uppercuts. No, it's not overstated. It's a good win. It's a great win. Uh, Charles finished entire top five. How is this a debate? Um, because he already lost to Islam once. I understand what you're saying. I think he should get it too, but I can understand why they're... Everyone who like likes their guy always leans on whatever the strongest argument for that is while not having an answer for the other strong arguments for the other guy. Meritocratically, I love Charles's case, although he did lose once, but even then, I still like his case. Fine, I'm not arguing with you. But in the way in which decisions get made, to what extent is this the sum total of how decisions get made? It's not, and you know it's not. So at least have an answer. Like, Justin would be bad for the box office? I don't really believe that. Um, you know, whatever your argument might be. Uh, but he is a fresh contender. Uh, that there's He has a big name. There's value. And he's the BMF champ. Like, I get why they might want to go that direction, even if I understand and agree with yours. The only time I get mad is when a case is like so slam dunk. But if Charles already fought Islam and got washed doing it, like it's not as slam dunk as you might want it to believe. Since dropping USADA, can Jones use PEDs to recover? Not if there's any reasonable amount of testing that the UFC plans to do, but I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Kingslayer says, part of the Free Speech Brigade here, I didn't see the post on YouTube, but if it's censored, I fully condemn the UFC's actions. Hey, man, um, don't take my word for it, but thank you. Philip, uh, thank you for becoming a member. I appreciate it. Greg writes, Luke, can you tell us what joke got edited out of the documentary that Brian... <laughs> it's nothing that bad. It's really nothing that bad. It was... Um... <sighs> I will tell you when showtime. Okay, de deal with you guys. I'll make a deal with you. I will tell you when showtime sunsets. I got to wrap up this here very quick. That's my deal. That's my pledge to you. When showtime sunsets, I will tell you. Okay? All right. There you go. Brandon, thank you for becoming a member. And then Jose asks, Luke, any thoughts on the new UFC video game not having any new fighters? Is this a consequence of the UFC brand becoming more complacent? Such as I don't know. I didn't know that. You're actually telling me that for the first time. I honestly did not know that. Um... I don't know. That's a great question. I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, Afifi says, happy birthday to my sister. I'm going to guess this is some porn star. I don't know. But there you go. All right. I got to get out of here. Guys, I love you so much. Thank you to everyone. Don't, don't play that, Othello. Don't play that. Don't play that. Don't play that. Don't play that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dude, we, we, get, we got hit with a copyright strike last time. So don't play that. I should have told you. That's my fault. Um, we got to get out of here. There's your poll. What's the better fight, Aspinall Pavlovich or Jones Stipe? Hey, the 55% who voted Aspinall Pavlovich, you're correct. You're a smart person. All right, 
We got to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for uh, all this. Email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. We're out of here. Until next time, stay frosty, bitches. Thank you. Love you. Bye. We got to go. Bye.